Namaste everyone. Welcome to the Charbuk Podcast. This is your host Kushal Mehra. All right, today's podcast is uh, about a subject that I always wanted to talk about, but I never got to it. I guess I never really focused on it, and I did not find the uh, the proper guest to actually speak about. It. And then finally, I did come across someone who I was confident enough that I can talk about and I can invite. And today I have with me Zahak Tanvir to talk about, uh, you know, uh, Indian and uh, Middle Eastern relations uh, in general and from a specific concept. I came across Zahak on Twitter. I read a bit of his work and then I was fascinated by it. Uh, so I'm very happy to to introduce you guys. Zahak, thanks for coming. Thank you so much, Mr. Kushal. First of all, um, you know, thanks for hosting me over this amazing show, and um, I look forward to have a beneficial discussion. So, Zach, this is your first time on the Charvak podcast. So, I always request uh, guests pehli baar jab aate hain, so t- to tell everybody a little bit about themselves because I know this will not be the first time. You'll be a, a, a guest that will come again and again, hopefully. So, tabhi ye nahi karna padega, magar as this is your first time, can you tell everybody a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure, my pleasure. Um, as you as you know that I'm Zach Tanvir and uh, basically I'm from India, uh, Hyderabad, and I uh, I work in IT. Basically, I'm an IT consultant. At the same time, I have my publication in London uh, called as Milli Chronicle, and I've been managing this for the past uh, five years. And I've been in Saudi Arabia like ten years. I went to Saudi in 2011, 2012, and since then I've been in Saudi Arabia. And uh, I've been closely watching the uh, geopolitical stuff, especially related to Middle East. And um, I try to uh, read, understand the uh, Middle East politics and especially the Muslim Brotherhood. And uh, I write about it. I publish articles about it. So this is this is uh, in a nutshell about me. So, you know, something in your introduction in the Millie Chronicle the last line before the contact you have or whosoever has written this over there you call yourself in quotes anti-islamist traditional yes. muslim yes exactly. i'm just quoting what was uh, quoted what was and then i was going through your timeline too and it's pretty clear what you stand for but uh, a very serious question you have chosen the was this like how did you go about studying foreign policy and middle eastern politics and the the whole socio political and cultural landscape from the perspective of an indian i'm not saying from the perspective of an indian muslim because a lot of times people are very condescending that they assume that if someone happens to be muslim and indian it has to be from an indian muslim perspective i don't want to be condescending i'm saying you're doing this from an indian's perspective so exactly. you just happen to be muslim for me so but can you explain that line in, in your own bio uh, in the milli chronicle what do you mean by anti islamist traditional muslim yeah to be honest um, i come from a muslim background okay and uh, since i belong to hyderabad um, a happening place in india i did my schooling in hyderabad then i uh, went to saudi arabia but um, all these years what i have noticed is um, muslims they easily get emotional and uh, there are certain groups and individuals and uh, ngos and and and, and certain uh, political parties who radicalize uh, muslims so um as you asked about how did the middle east politics affect us or why i got fascinated by the middle east politics you know in some way or the other the the middle east politics will definitely gonna affect the muslims of india and pakistan 
And um, back in 2014, um, I was in Saudi, by the way, and I noticed the wave of radicalization happening in Pakistan. And also some of the people got affected with that radicalization wave in India as well, when ISIS, Islamic State of Syria and Iraq, was on the rise. And unfortunately, um, that was 2014 Ramadan and uh, Abu Bakr Baghdadi, he gave his first uh, khutbah and everyone was was fascinated by his, um, you know, the so-called Islamic Caliphate. So um, unfortunately, some of the mullahs and the maulanas, they, uh, they taught Muslims about the rise of the Caliphate and, um, you know, the only solution for the problems is the rise of the Caliphate. And because of this, Muslims cannot focus on what is right now in their hands. So I started to read more about the uh, Middle East politics and uh, why and how it's, it's affecting the Indian Muslims. And uh, this is how I got deeper and deeper and, and, and I realized that there is a problem lying there that's called as Muslim Brotherhood. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people in India, um, the Muslims and non-Muslims, they have no idea about the Muslim Brotherhood and how Muslim Brotherhood is um, uh, radicalizing youth, how it's affecting uh, the, the Muslims and how it's affecting the Muslim identity in India. So uh, this, is, this is something which I believe that, you know, Muslims have to be very careful about that wh- how these elements are getting into their ranks and how these elements are trying to deviate them and how these elements are pushing the vulture activism and how these elements are not, you know, trying to find a solution. Rather, they are pushing Muslims into destruction. Fair enough. Now, this is a perfect segue into maybe studying uh, the the history of uh, Indo-Arabian relations, if I was to say. So, so uh, as you as you have said, this is your focus area. So how would we uh, narrate the relationship over, let's say, post... I, I'm not talking about pre-independence India. I'm talking about post-independence mm-hmm. India. So British India, uh, let's not focus. So, so let's say after 1947, uh, mm-hmm. will we will we categorize India's relationship with the Middle East or the Arabian, Arabian world in general uh, in a particular way have then been ebbs and flows? So what is your assessment? Uh, well, about the India's historical ties with the Arab countries, it uh, actually goes back to 5,000 years to the trading uh, between the ancient civilizations of the Indus Valley and the Dilmun civilization. Arab merchants, traders, and religious men would come to India and they would enjoy the business-friendly markets in India and culturally rich atmosphere in India and the welcoming society in India. And in fact, Gujarat's port of Goga has been very active since the 5th century and it flourished as a major trading point um, uh, during the 10th and the 16th century. And in fact, it's, it's, it's really interesting to know that, um, you know, um, during the Prophet Muhammad's time, uh, his companions, they came to Gujarat and uh, they built a mosque in Gujarat called as Barwada Mosque and the direction of the, uh, the prayers, which is called as Qibla, of this mosque is Jerusalem, not Mecca. So you can understand the relationship between the India and the and the Gulf and the Middle East has been very long. And in fact, uh, I would I would say that I would like to give credit to uh, the current Indian government and uh, Mr. Narendra Modi, the PM. Um, after 2014, uh, these relationship. Uh, this relationship actually got, uh, uh, you know, more fortified and this relationship became uh, more stronger. 
And in fact, um, in I think in August 2015, uh, UAE was the first um, Gulf country where Modi visited as the Indian PM after 34 years. And in fact, um, uh, when uh, MBS visited India in 2019, Modi, he broke the protocol and he went to receive uh, Mr. MBS. So this relationship between the Gulf and uh, India has become more stronger, especially after 2014. And I would say before 2014, it was it was good. Um, uh, you know, uh, the the Saudi monarchs they even visited India during the Nehru's time. It was okay. It was fine. It was fantastic. But um, for the past uh, seven eight years, it's been it's been really nice. So. So if I was to ask you this question, every time on social media, we seem to have these, uh, what do, what's the right word I'm looking for over here? These outrage machines. Mm, I guess mm. I'll call them outrage machine. I have a t-shirt in which I have written outrage outrage. Everyone has opened the shop today, outrage. So, you know, you have these outrage machines where... Uh, if you look at... And it doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you are. Uh, and yeah. I, I say this all sides of the political spectrum. You know, it's always aag lagi padi hai. Uh, one side will say Muslims are under attack. Everything is going down. The other side will only see an Islamist in everyone, nothing else. You know, there is no, there is no gray area or there is no nuance. It is har jagah, kind of a scenario. <laughs> but here you are, as an observer of middle the middle east someone who lives there someone who's of an indian who constantly studies both sides of the aisle and you've been doing it for such a long time you are painting a very different picture you are painting a picture that is actually very positive and it keeps on improving then what the hell is happening on social media man <laughs> no no actually let me tell you something uh we need to understand this global left the left wing uh the psychology of the left wing, especially the global left wing, the left wing or the leftists that thrive on vulture activism, they won't be satisfied. Uh, they won't be happy if solutions are worked out. If you give a solution and if I give a solution, if you offer a solution or if I offer a solution, they won't be happy. They won't be satisfied. They always target the establishments. They always target the, um, I would say, right wing leaders. They would target the right wing politicians, the right wing businessmen. And uh, if you see that um, every time they attack, they try to paint their right-wing leaders and the businessmen as chaotic, as messy, and they try to show them as eccentric. They, they try to show them as cynical. And uh, for example, the way they painted Trump, Donald Trump, they painted Donald Trump as an idiot, right? So um, they try to show him like he doesn't know how to run the government. He doesn't know how to handle the pandemic situation. And they did the same uh, for the PM Modi and Saudi PM Mohammed bin Salman. They play the same game. So I would say that they actually try their best to create rifts uh, between the, the establishment, between the state and the people. They play a lot of psychological wars. And in fact, two days ago, uh, if you see um, Saudi Minister of Islamic Affairs, Dr. Abdul Latif al-Sheikh, Dr. Abdul Latif al-Sheikh, he said that Muslim Brotherhood the ideological partner of the left wing, they carry out psychological wars. They do character assassination. They spread rumors, which can even potentially damage your economy. This is how they deal with their opponents. 
Apart from that, if you see the global left has the backing of certain countries and certain political groups and certain NGOs who thrive on blackmailing the governments. The global left and, uh, and the Ikhwan, uh, they collaborate. They collaborated to water down Mohammed bin Salman in 2018. Uh, you know, if you remember the whole Khashoggi issue, as you say, that outright machine, they tried to blow this Khashoggi issue out of proportion and they tried to pull down the government of Saudi Arabia to disturb the Saudi, Saudi succession hierarchy. In the same way, uh, uh, they, they, they do the same thing every now and then in India as well. They tried to attack the government. If you remember the Nupur Sharma and your episode, what happened, uh, they put the picture of uh, Narendra Modi on a trash can in Kuwait, somewhere in Kuwait. We don't know the location. We don't know if that location is really a public location or not. They put the picture of Modi and they, they took that picture and they made it viral on the Twitter. So this is this has been happening for a quite long time. And to be honest, the the, the uh, if you see this pattern, uh, you you see this pattern getting repeated every now and then. So all they want to do is to, they want to hamper the progress. They want to hamper the uh, prosperity of these uh, countries. And uh, if you notice, you will see commonality between the leaderships of India and Saudi Arabia. The commonality is to reduce the dependency on the West, okay, uh, to make their respective countries self-sustainable. And the left, the left cannot stomach this phenomena happening under the right-wing governments. And they do their best to dismantle the society, to create uh, you know, civil strife. If you have noticed, India has ex excellently progressed from what it used to be and what it is now. Okay? And same with Saudi Arabia. India has progressed in eliminating the extreme poverty, and according to IMF, India has also progressed in economy by outdoing UK, United Kingdom. And uh, this year, India has also got the G20 presidency. And, um, and there are a lot of progressive things happening in India as well. So obviously, the left wing, will, the left wing cannot stomach this. They, they cannot accept this happening. They cannot actually witness this happening. So they will try their best to create uh, a situation where people will attack the government, they will water down the efforts of the government, and obviously to create more and more problems. So this is the thing. All right, so let's uh, break this down, because I remember that was the tweet that caught my attention. You, you did mention Saudi Arabia and India have been the target of constant propaganda warfare by the American Democrats and the Global Left Coalition. Yes. Now, let's focus on... <clears throat> Mohammed bin Salman for a while because I want to focus there. Khashoggi is just one of the issues. I have seen um, constant analysis of uh, Mohammed bin Salman from uh, you know from multiple perspectives now. Like people doing deep dives on his personality, people doing deep dives on what he's doing to Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't understand. Like uh, what? See, my question is, the left is the one that says they're liberal, right? Now, yes. Mohammed bin Salman has been, isn't he the person, if I am getting my facts right, doing a lot of things for um, the rights of women, uh, so yeah. slowly but surely, he's giving women more rights and many other things. And shouldn't the liberals be actually be happy with the man and he's kind of doing things they would like? Uh, I mean... What what seems to have gone wrong? What are the reasons for the global left to not back 
Mohammed bin Salman when he clearly is doing objective things that they would actually want anyway, right? Well, someone say that uh, since Mohammed bin Salman um, had a close inclination towards uh, uh, Trump, Trump administration, and because of this, he has been receiving all these propaganda. But I would say that uh, Saudi Arabia has been between the conservative and liberals for a long time. Uh, if you remember when Saudi Arabia was supporting the uh, the, the Wahhabi Islam, okay, uh, before Mohammed bin Salman came into power, it was it used to support Wahhabi Islam, and uh, during that time, the left media and the um, the Western media would attack Saudi Arabia, calling it as an extreme country. Uh, who supports uh, radicalization, who supports Wahhabi Islam, and they would attack Saudi government for letting the uh, the preachers, um, you know, preach all around the world about the uh, strict uh, Islamic laws. But when Saudi Arabia tried, um, started, um, you know, banning these preachers and uh, outlawing them, soon after it, the same media, the same media, which used to rant about how Saudi Arabia is... Uh, promoting the Wahhabi Islam, the same media started attacking Saudi Arabia uh, for banning the moderate preachers. And uh, I, 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 I remember uh, about Salman al-Auda. Salman al-Auda, uh, when he was preaching from the Saudi mimbars, uh, from the Saudi pulpits, um, he was uh, Saudi Arabia was attacked for promoting Salman al-Auda. But when Saudi Arabia banned Salman al-Auda, then they started ranting that Saudi Arabia is banning the moderate preachers. So I think I think there is some problem uh, with the with the image correction which is happening right now under Mohammed bin Salman. I believe uh, some of the um, political parties and some of the countries want Saudi Arabia to remain as it is, to remain uh, dependent on oil, to 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 have that radical image at it as it used to have. Uh, I remember an interview of uh, ex-British um, intelligence ag agent, uh, John Coleman. He said that um, uh, the countries like US and UK and Canada, they give refuge to uh, the hardliners, okay? So that they keep their Arab allies in check. So they actually want these countries, especially the Middle East countries, to remain as it is, to to continue with that same image. If Mohammed bin Salman is trying to correct this image and reform and uh, bring all these uh, changes, the, the positive changes which are happening right now, I believe that because of these changes, the the, the left media and the global, um, you know, the Democrats, they cannot digest this. But, I, I mean... This is fascinating because for a society and a country whose foreign policy is based on, quote, values-based world order, right? That's what they keep saying. And uh, then the natural second question that anybody would ask is, what are those values? And they'll explain the values. Whose values are they? Well, the West will say they are their values. And here is a case of a leader who's actually genuinely kind of aligning with the Western value set especially when it comes to women's rights in this case. Yeah. I thought that person should have been a natural ally for the left. But I, I want to focus on the American relationship here because we cannot ignore America in a foreign policy discussion. America has always considered Saudi Arabia their ally, 
right in general saudi arabia and america has always been now and i, I you know what i find fascinating about american discourse in general is i don't know when saudi arabia becomes a villain and i don't understand when saudi arabia becomes the hero because <laughs> like it it's it's almost as if suddenly and in it keeps changing like a ping pong ball like sometimes russia is attacked from the right wing in america sometimes russia is attacked from the left wing in america there's a similar thing in saudi arabia these days it's the left that is attacking saudi arabia and the right again has sukha palti mar liya and the right is like why are we ruining our relations with the saudis we we need this so how do we make sense of american foreign policy in this situation american foreign policy it actually um revolves around the american interest it doesn't care about the uh, you know other countries for example if you look back at the obama obama's time you would see that obama administration they picked up all these radicals and they released the al qaeda al qaeda you know uh, the members who were who were in the jails so they took them out and they picked them up they had the meetings with them in the washington the hillary clinton was the um uh, you know state secretary so they they had these meetings with uh, the radicals and they wanted to change the regime in syria and libya and they tried doing it and at that time left was supporting uh, this regime change and saudi arabia played a major role in stopping this regime change in bahrain in fact i remember in 2012 um uh saud saud al faisal was the fm for the foreign minister and uh, hillary clinton he he she called him and uh, she said that you need to stop sending the troops to bahrain and saud al faisal he immediately you know canceled the phone and said that bahrain is our ally and we cannot uh, you know betray our ally so saudi played a major role in stopping the uh, uh the left expansionism project in the middle east and because of the saudi and bahrain and uae uae also played a major role and because of this uh, the left and the uh, the um, the left wing gang they attack saudi arabia and uh, if you notice uh, the 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 yemen uh, you know the saudi's intervention in yemen it was all uh, propelled by the left and the uh, ikhwan the muslim brotherhood but when saudi intervened this is this is what that pricked the uh, left wing and this is where the uh, the american policy got affected and because of this the whole issues uh, you know the whole issue got started fair enough i guess you know then then it goes back to my claim that i have come you know this entire idea of a values based world order to be very honest again is is hogwash that's what i have always said it's hogwash uh, foreign policy at best is transactionalism and yes. uh, everybody at the end of the day by the way this equally applies to the country which you and i belong to which is india in my opinion india is also transactional nothing else and all this poppycock about values and oh we have to do this we have to do that you know when the rubber meets the road and when push comes to shove all liberal based value based orders go on the side and everybody looks at their country's interest at the end of the day and sometimes some corporations also influence foreign policy and some foreign policy interests are done like that but now that we are on on the question of the larger thing 
now i want to segue into something else what do you make of this whole india and uae free trade uh, agreement uh, in your view from a economics perspective do you do you f- find that uh, thing promising or do you see any any potential in that in that particular agreement yeah obviously uh, india uae uh, uh, trade relationship is so strong that uh, you know uh, indians occupy like 38% in uae the among the uae population indians are 38% so indians call uae as a second home and uh, this uh, trade uh, deal which is going on between india and uae this is really promising and this is uh, promising for india to have its uh, uh what we, what we can say um india's lobby getting stronger in the middle east and uh, uae is the gateway to the middle east for india and uae by the way uae is also the uh stronger partner of saudi arabia and saudi arabia cannot afford to have any kind of uh you know disturbance with uae as it had with uh, qatar so uae plays a you know major role in the middle east and uh, since india is on the side of the uae uh and uae is also on the side of india so this relationship uh you know is is good for india by the way let me also tell you that uh india wants to have good relationship with its neighbors and uh, among the neighbors of india is afghanistan and uh, pakistan unfortunately these two countries are so uh so bad and worse these days that uh uh it is is not worth to have relationship with the, with the neighbors so obviously india would like to have relationship with its muslim neighbors like uae and saudi arabia but when it comes to the uae i think india has a special uh, love relationship not hate relationship with that <laughs> yeah, country yeah. as you rightly said a huge contingent of indians lives there uh you know so there's a famous uh, joke in kerala is half of kerala stays in the gulf in in general but uh not only that i think uh, when it comes to the united arab emirates i think uh, even that that nation that monarchy appreciates the fact that a lot of uh, its growth and success they 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 do over to the the influx of indians into that country and uh it was very interesting for me when i found out the news that uh, i think one of those uh, areas is now allowing a hindu temple too which is uh, yeah. very 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 uh, people don't realize how big an effort or how big a move it is for uh, for that part of the world uh, from a social perspective not a political perspective uh for them internally to justify something like that like i've been to dubai and and i realized that Now you can pretty much do what you want to do over there if you don't cross a few lines here and there they they have uh, uh, pretty much taken care of that but then especially our relationship with UAE what i tend to see is there there are these sustained efforts and i and i have noticed this or am i wrong in noticing this in your opinion there has been a consistent effort to derail our relationship especially with the uae and put our indian citizenry that lives over there in danger constantly by making outrageous remarks and using i don't know how else to say it the average musliman khatre mein hai logic in india mm, mm. and super extending it into the into the uh, overall indian population over there how successful has that 
uh, what you say that narrative been in your opinion see uh, this narrative has yes it has it has given an impact but i would say that uh, whether it's uh, uae saudi or india the con- these countries have good leadership to leadership relationship okay they have good leadership to leadership relationship but the problem here is there is a gap which you and i need to fill this gap is there is no people to people connectivity you would be surprised to know that i was talking to some influential saudis and i asked them do you know how many muslims live in india and they were guessing okay i asked them to guess they say maybe 20 million 50 million 30 million i say 250 million and they were surprised they were surprised they were taken aback when they heard that india has 250 million muslims as you pointed out that there are certain you know uh lobbying going on to create rift between uae and india in fact there is a lobby which is trying to uh push indian muslims down so that indian muslims don't have any representation and obviously when indian muslims don't have any representation the oic will be uh taken over by the pakistan and this is the reason pakistan never allows uh the sane voice of indian muslims coming up and they try to derail it they try to uh water it down and because of this uh and and also they um they fund um certain uh you know ideologues who try to push this narrative that indian muslims are in danger in fact i was talking to a saudi and he said that uh, you know hijab is banned in india i told him who told you that hijab is banned in india he said i read in the news he said this is wrong i mean it it, it didn't happen uh you know hijab is not banned in india you know muslim women they wear hijab in fact i saw muslim women uh, walking at 2 am at the night in india okay alone nobody is there nobody is troubled so this kind of narrative is trying to uh take uh, you know influence especially on the international audience and i would say that the sane voices should come up we need to have more discussions more dialogues i would recommend that uh, there should be a dialogue between uh the people of saudi arabia the people of india and the people of saudi arabia should come and see themselves how india is uh, instead of relying on these narratives so yeah uh there is a gap which has to be filled all right now i want to talk again a live viewer has asked this question what is the purpose of i don't know how to pronounce this city it's n e o m so i don't want to mess yeah. up the neom so so yeah. what is the purpose of the city can you tell everybody a little bit about that Yeah since uh, Saudi Arabia has been dependent on oil and uh, after 2012 Saudi realized that how important it is for it to move away from oil okay if you look at UAE uh, UAE Dubai especially Dubai Dubai doesn't have oil Dubai is not dependent on oil Dubai is dependent on tourism Dubai is dependent on business okay so Dubai is the business hub so uh, MBS is trying to emulate the same model in uh, I would not say same exact Dubai model but it he's trying to make a similar kind of city neom city in which there will be uh, zero carbon and there will be um, business there will be uh, Uh, employment there will be jobs and there will be huge economy and uh you know there is an interesting thing since 
this city will make Saudi uh, less dependent on oil and less dependent on uh, America and less dependent on the West. Uh, during the Imran Khan's time in Pakistan, there has been a lot of uh, propaganda operation against this Neom city. If you uh, check on YouTube, you will find a lot of videos about Neom city uh, trying to create a negative image and uh, doing negative propaganda that Neom city is all about Antichrist. Neom city it means that the world is getting end and MBS, his, his, uh, his Dajjal, is trying to create a uh, you know this Dajjal, Dajjal stuff. You know this Dajjal stuff. Yeah, yeah. Dajjal is Dajjal is the Antichrist. So um, in in Muslim uh, theology, we believe that before the end of times, there will be Antichrist who will be coming, and uh, same like Christians. And the Christians also believe that the Antichrist will be arriving before the end of times, and the Christ will come, and he'll be gonna eliminate him. So um, uh, from Pakistan, a lot of these narratives uh, popped up that uh, Neom City is the city of Dajjal and you know there will be a lot of destruction happening in the muslim world and there will be no islam islam will be ending this and that will be happening so uh, neom is the positive light neom is the future neom is the future for indians as well because neom will have artificial intelligence it will be smart city and uh, as you know that india is right now producing a lot a lot of ai ml artificial intelligence engineers and uh, cybersecurity um, consultants so india will have a lot of business from saudi arabia with neom city unfortunately uh, the you know the backward the backward mentality doesn't understand this this is fascinating that <laughs> does pakistan have any positive contribution to planet earth sometimes i wonder like what the hell i mean they, uh, like uh, uh, why doesn't Pakistan focus on actually generating those engineers that could work exactly. in the same city? Exactly, exactly, exactly. You're right. And uh, I was a bit irritated when I wa watched these videos. Um, you know, I was watching... Uh, if, if, someone, if someone who is not educated, if he's talking about this stuff, we can understand his condition. But when it comes from so-called, um, you know, academic uh, people, the so-called literates, then this is something problematic. Uh, if you, you know, check YouTube, you'll find the people who pretend to be literates, who pretend to be educated, and they are talking about the, the negative stuff about the city. Fair enough. Now, the next part of the question. Does Mohammed bin Salman fear that with impending Iran nuclear capabilities, Saudi Arabia would be split on a north-south axis and is therefore prepping up a new capital city of South Saudi Arabia on the Gulf of Aden coast? No, no, no. This will not going to happen. This will not going to happen. And Iran is not in a condition to uh, perform this. And uh, this is something which is a wishful thinking, I would say. This is a wishful thinking. And this will never going to happen. Interesting. But what what do you... Okay, so let's dig a little bit more on this whole Iran nuclear deal and and uh, and how Saudi Arabia... Do you, How much do you think this, the, the, the destruction of the relationship between Saudi Arabia and America has got to do with this Iran issue and especially the Iran nuclear deal where the Americans post-Obama, because Obama started working on the Iran nuclear deal, now Trump comes in, 
the nuclear deal with Iran was basically put on a back burner. It was uh, like in, in the cold turkey mode. And then again, now in the Biden administration, again, the talks have uh, started again with the Iran nuclear deal. How much of that is hinging and impending upon the, the future relationship with Saudi Arabia and America? Well, um, MBS, in a lot of interviews, he indicated uh, to this point that if Iran will take the nuclear weapon, then it will definitely make Saudi Arabia acquire the nuclear weapon. If they try, if uh, Iran will ever make nuclear weapon, if, if America helps Iran, indirectly helping Iran to make the nuclear weapon, then obviously Saudi Arabia will also acquire the nuclear weapon and that will be the disaster in the Middle East because Saudi Arabia, uh, Iran is not just a country, it, it has expansionist agenda. Iran has expansionist agenda. In fact, all the turmoils and the, um, uh, the problems you see in the Middle East, not only in the Middle East, even in the Kashmir, if you see, it's, uh, you will find a link to the Iranian Mullah regime, the Khomeini regime. For example, uh, the uh, Khomeini regime came into power in 1979, and by 1989, Kashmir insurgency started. And in fact, in Kashmir, a lot of uh, the people, the separatists, they are influenced by the Khomeini agenda. They are influenced by the uh, the current Iranian regime. So Iran is not just a country who focuses on its self-development. Iran focuses on the expansionism. And this is what troubles Saudi Arabia. Apart from the nuclear ambitions, Iran ho- also has the ambitions to take over the Mecca, and Medina, the two holy places. In fact, it's it's written in their in their books, uh, the books um, authored by Khomeini. So they have these ambitions, and obviously uh, Saudi Arabia will do its best to uh, protect its uh, its its borders and 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 try to um, you know stop the the these people who who, who create the instability in the region. Another thing I wanted to talk about is, and I wanted to know your views on, is the historical uh, improvement in the Middle Eastern relationship with uh, Israel in that sense. Yeah. And uh, surprise of surprises, it happened actually under the presidency of uh, Donald Trump. Yeah. I mean, uh, so what do you make of the future between those two nations? Because I think the relationship between uh, Israel and the Middle East can also have some second order and third order effects because I'm going to, I want to keep the last 10, 15 minutes on the future of India and the Middle East. But I think that the relationship they have with Israel Hmm. is very important in that entire thing. So what do you make of that whole thing? Well, see, uh, the India, uh, the, uh, the Gulf and the Israel relationship, it has, it has to do it has a lot to do with the stability in the region. Uh, during, during the Donald Trump's time, and I would say that the credit goes to uh, Jared Kushner, his, his, his son-in-law, he played a vital role in this Abraham Accords. And he was the one who worked on the Abraham Accords. And uh, due to his efforts and uh, the, the Bahrain and uh, the Morocco and uh, Sudan and uh, UAE, they signed the Abraham Accords. Saudi Arabia does have some reservations and they have put forward the reservations. Not not now. They, they have been doing this for the past 20, 30 years. And if Israel agrees to that, then obviously Saudi Arabia will also sign the deal. And I wish that uh, there will also be uh, 
uh, Iran and uh, Israel um, tie up in the relationship. If this if if this Mullah regime goes away, then obviously that will also take that's what that will also happen. So uh, since Israel plays a major role in the Middle East and uh, doing these uh, um, signing deals with Israel uh, gives a new hope to the stability in the region. You actually made a very important point that uh, Israel plays a major role in the Middle East till the extent yes. that people forget that there is more to life than just India and the Gulf nations. There is India and Israel. And now let us keep the latter half and let us focus on this bit. Now, what do you think is the future of our relationship with the Middle East um, uh, in, in a larger perspective, considering the amount of narratives that happen, you know, you have these rating agencies constantly giving India bad ratings in yeah. terms of India mistreating its minorities, uh, etc. And and uh, when we say minorities, everybody knows it's always Muslims. Let, let I, I'm not even going to be uh, sugarcoating this. I'm saying it straight up. It's always the Muslim question. And it is always used as a cudgel to beat India up. And the ultimate motive is that. But if I was to ask you, how do you see India's relationship with the Middle East? And when I say the Middle East, I want to keep it separate. One will be the India relationship with Israel, which we will talk about separately, but because they are also the Middle East. Yeah. And, and the But let's start with uh, India's relationship with the larger Muslim world. See, uh, India's relationship with the Muslim world is uh, unbreakable. It cannot be broken. Okay. Uh, a lot of people from India, they travel to uh, Makkah and Medina for the Holy Pilgrimage. And uh, India cannot afford this, uh, uh, the, the diplomatic cost. Okay. And even the Middle East cannot afford the diplomatic cost in breaking the relationship with India. And uh, apart from these relationships, uh, uh, India has a huge chunk, India and the Gulf, both of them, they have a huge chunk of mutual economical dependencies. And this also includes the food security, renewable and nuclear energy, education, skill development, and defense industry and counterterrorism, biotechnology, space, and uh, a lot of, uh, you know, mutual dependencies, uh, uh, exist between India and the Gulf. So obviously, uh, there is no chance that India will ever try to break the relationship with the Gulf nations. And at the same time, the Gulf nations will never uh, effort to break relationship with India. But I get the, the baseline, the relationship is too, uh, too deep and too long-standing, but and and I get the economic uh, aspect too, but you can never ignore the fact that. Uh, so I'll just give you an example. Like sh shit, we see hmm. the VDEM report says India has less academic freedom than Afghanistan and Pakistan, right? Now these reports are considered in a lot of uh, you know decisions which might have uh, um, implications on. Um, our trade in a weird way because you know a lot of sanctions are decided using these absurd indices if i was to say now uh, how do how does india and the because look 
if they do this to india i can guarantee you they're going to do the same thing to the middle east yes so basically so basically well, so should india and middle east basically take solace in this fact ki ye ye hum dono ki thokne wale hai to chalo sath mein aa jaye basically is that the hal right that's now true. that's true that's true that's true you know uh, this lobby when they when they want to blackmail uh, middle east they use this human rights thing and they use this um, you know violation of the human rights and uh, violation of the women uh, rights and this and that and they blackmail the middle east and they they put up these you know uh, charts and the uh, the indices what you have mentioned in the same way when they want to blackmail india and disrupt the indian economy they bring up this uh, hunger index and uh as you say that there is no freedom for the uh academicians in india this and that so eventually this is something which will unite both the ally, uh, both the allies the india and the gulf especially saudi and uae so saudi and uae they understand this they understand how this blackmailing business happens they know who is running this blackmailing business and they have been victim of this in fact egypt has been the victim of this blackmailing business and they know how to deal with it they ignore it and they focus on the future and they focus on how uh, they know they know uh, who are all the victims of this blackmailing business and they make alliance with that fair enough now let's spend maybe a few minutes on the india israel and india now recently there was this entire uh, kerfuffle about uh, kashmir files and uh, you know the israeli ambassador going around everywhere is going around clarifying oh bhai wo aadmi pagal hai hamara koi lena dena nahi hai kind of a scenario and then uh, um uh, um and then somebody else comes up uh, and you know indian twitter being indian twitter you can always count on indians having the worst responses to the israeli ambassador in the dms saying the nazis were right i mean now uh, yeah before someone says i i get the difference that over there it was a prominent israeli and versus over here this is a lowest common denominator of our society but what do you make of the the level of entertainment that social media provides that now ambassadors have to clarify things on twitter see uh twitter is not just a social media tool twitter makes people uh you know it it can potentially damage the economy of a country it can potentially uh you know paint the image of a country and that was a major reason why elon musk has had to you know buy twitter so uh with this kashmir files issue which you have mentioned uh yes uh this lobby played a big role in manipulating the social media and running this twitter trend and uh, putting up this fake uh, propaganda against um, against the real genocide which happened yeah i did watch kashmir files on z5 and i would say that uh, and i and i know that this really happened this was a real incident so this is really um i would say this is really disappointing to see that a community which was subjected to the holocaust is commenting about a community which was also subjected to genocide 
But uh, it's good that uh, the Israeli ambassadors and uh, the right wing of Israel, they came up and they clarified and they said that this does not represent the majority of the Israelis. We do understand that this happened to you and we stand by you. So, yes, you're right. Social media is an enter- uh, is, is an entertaining platform. <laughs> नहीं कई बार तो मुझे समझ नहीं पड़ता है कि क्या हो रहा है एक कंट्री का एम्बेसडर अपने को मिले हुए डीएम शेयर कर रहा देख भाई मेरे को डीएम पे गाली मिल रही है मतलब मैं खुद हंस रहा था मतलब ये हो रहा क्या है वो कंट्री का एम्बेसडर है वो बोल रहा है मुझे डीएम पे गाली दे रहे उनका हमारी गवर्नमेंट इतनी यूजलेस है वो किसी को बुलाती है हमारी प्लेटफॉर्म पे हमको पेल के जाता है वो क्या हो रहा है किसी को नहीं मालूम मतलब इट इज द थिएटर ऑफ द अब्सर्ड इज ऑल आई कैन से बट चलो इट इज व्हाट इट इज बट व्हाट डू यू मेक ऑफ इंडिया एब्सटेनिंग अ लॉट ऑफ टाइम्स व्हेन इट कम्स टू in the voting in the united nations uh uh when it comes to questions relating to israel mm. uh india gets a lot of criticism from a certain section on the internet again about that what do you make of that whole thing well uh india has the history of supporting the palestinian cause and in fact recently um pm modi he tweeted that india supports the palestinian cause at the same time india also supports the dialogue between israel and palestine and india wants uh israel to have their own state and they uh, and india also wants palestine to have its own state so india basically supports the um, the palestinian side as well as the israeli side but now coming to the point of voting in favor of palestine i would say the arab allies and the, the arab lobby has to uh, has 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 to play here and uh, because of that india chooses to side with the arab lobby and uh, i i don't have the data right now but i heard that um, indian universities uh, have a special quota for the palestinians and uh, in fact the palestinian universities uh, invite the indian professors and uh, i remember that during the shushma swaraj time she visited palestine and she inaugurated the it it uh, department of uh, quds university in jerusalem so uh, india has a you know strong relationship with the palestine and it it doesn't want to hurt that at the same time india tries to ally with the arab lobby um inciting with the palestinian cause instead of uh, negating the whole palestine issue fair enough now i'll i'll take a couple of questions again from our live viewers before we wrap it up so the first one is western saudi arabia has a lot of non oil mineral wealth what steps have the saudi arabians taken to develop those mineral deposits uh because uh, they could be critical for them at, at an economic level as the world weans away like i i want to add to this question has has saudi arabia gotten a sense of realization that eventually this oil money is going to run out and you know the 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 gulf in general needs to slowly get away from this entire thing ki hum to tel wale hain tel hi nikalte rahenge kind of a thing no 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 you're right saudi has realized this and i would say when saudi realized it 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 saudi realized after 2012 when um, you know obama stopped the arms to saudi arabia for 8 years 
So Saudi had to survive without U.S. support for eight years. And those eight years were very critical for Saudi Arabia. Um, there were a lot of uh, civil unrest happening in the eastern side of Saudi and in Bahrain it was happening. And, uh, uh, and the international media uh, lambasting was also taking place at that time. So Saudi eventually realized this, that it cannot be depending on oil. If it depends on oil, then it will be like a pawn in the hands of the uh, Western masters. So obviously, Saudi wants to move away from the oil dependency. And yes, you're right. Uh, Saudi uh, sent the researchers and uh, investigators to various parts of Saudi, for example, the Western province and also the Eastern province and also to the Northern province. And they have found huge chunk of uh, uh, natural resources. And they are working on that to dig it up, to uh, to encash it. And uh, they have set up a lot of companies in Riyadh. And these days, Riyadh uh, has become the hub of uh, all the multinational companies. Uh, and I have seen that a lot of Saudis are moving to Riyadh. And the real estate in Riyadh is also rising. So Riyadh is becoming the new New York and uh, they're focusing on the natural resources and tourism industry and the entertainment industry. So yes, Saudi is moving away from the oil. Perfect. Now, this one is more of a social, social question. So the, the live viewer has asked, Abu Hamid al-Ghazali's seminal work, The Incoherence of the Philosophers, firmly established the Asharite school, replacing the Abyssinian school of Islamic philosophy. Can Muhammad bin Salman, or for that matter, Indian leadership too, re-establish the Abyssinian school as a legitimate version for the Islamic school, let's say, opposed to Wahhabism or uh, other strands. What, what do you think is the tassel going to be? Because see, look, at the end of the day, even with MBS doing all these reforms, he's going to face pressure from the conservative section in his own society. where he, It's not going to be a cakewalk. So how do you think they're going to go about doing these things? Or, or what do you see when you live there? Yeah, yeah. Let me tell you something about the conservative society. Uh, Mohammed bin Salman has the support of the conservative society in Saudi Arabia. Yes. Uh, I'll tell you something about the Saudi history when uh, uh, Mohammed bin Saud, who's the real founder of Saudi Arabia uh, in 1722, I think, 1722 or 1744. So Mohammed bin Saud, he collaborated with Mohammed bin Abdul Wahab, Imam Mohammed bin Abdul Wahab. He collaborated with him. And uh, they had uh, they had a treaty, and under the treaty, they decided that Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab and his children uh, will not interfere in the political thing, and Muhammad bin Saud will not interfere in the religious issues. And since then, uh, this collaboration has been existing in the Saudi society, and the Saudi society does understand this collaboration. And you would not notice it in the Saudi society that Ali Sheikh, who is you know, the Grand Mufti of Saudi Arabia, Ali Sheikh, is the grandson of Muhammad bin Abdul Wahab. He doesn't interfere in the foreign policies. He, do he doesn't dictate the foreign policies as it happens in Iran. In Iran, Khamenei, Ali Khamenei, he's the one who takes control of the religious things as well as the foreign affairs, as well as the business, as well as the commercial aspects, everything. He's the one who takes care. But in Saudi Arabia, the things are in different place. 
for example, the religious things are always under the uh, the religious body, and uh, uh, the leaders will not interfere in the religious affairs. And at the same time, you will never see King Salman or Mohammed bin Salman talking about how many rakats you need to pray and uh, how you need to pray if you have to recite Surah Fatiha or not. They will never talk about that. And at the same time, the uh, the religious leaders will never interfere in the uh, the foreign policies. They they don't dictate the foreign policy. They don't say you need to make friendship with India or not. You need to make friendship with uh, Pakistan or not. They 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 never talk about that. So this is a good thing about Saudi Arabia, and the Saudi society, the tribes, and you know, Saudi society is built on the tribes. All the tribes. Uh, they have the leaders and every tribe they have a leader and the tribes they give by the pledge of allegiance to the to to the leaders and these leaders they give the pledge of allegiance or the baya to uh, the saudi uh, the royal family the king salman and mohammed bin salman and this you know this cycle or this relationship is so intact and so strong that uh, it is very difficult to disturb this and this is one of the major reasons why during the Khashoggi time, or even during this, uh, you know, the recent um, tirade which happened in the uh, in in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia, attacking the character of Mohammed bin Salman, uh, the local Saudi population did not revolt against the royal family. This was the major reason, and this is uh, imbibed in the Saudi society. As you have mentioned about the Abbasid and uh, the school of thought, I would say. Uh, in fact, recently, when Mohammed bin Salman was interviewed by Atlantic, uh, they asked him uh, about the role of Mohammed bin Abdul Wahhab. Uh, so Mohammed bin Salman, he responded very calmly. He said that Mohammed bin Abdul Wahhab was a preacher and he was an imam. He passed away. He was like any other imam. He passed away. And Saudi society has a lot of other schools of thought as well. For example, uh, the Shia school. In Saudi Arabia, you do have uh, the Shia, uh, the Shias. Uh, the, the the chief of Neom City is a Shia. You know that the chief of the Neom City, Nadim Nasser, he's a Shia. And uh, um, Saudi Arabia has recently given citizenship to Lebanese Shia, Shia scholars. So now Saudi Saudi is moving ahead from this sectarian, you know, divides. And it's trying to include all other sects as well into its society. And in fact, uh, a year ago, Saudi um, Saudi authorities they gave uh, an order to the uh, uh, the religious, uh, you know, um, the, the people who designed the the syllabus. Okay, they told them to remove the sectarian uh, words from the uh, from the religious syllabus. Like there should be no Shia and Sunni, there should be no uh, Wahhabi and uh, Hanafi, Dubandi. I mean, the, the 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 society cannot thrive on the sectarian issues as it's happening right now in Pakistan. Pakistan is devastated because of the sectarian issues. So Saudi Arabia has moved moved ahead from that. Interesting. Uh, you know, the, it, this has uh, been a revelation for me also. Uh, to be very fair, I don't follow these things. I'm more of uh, uh, a person who deals with other sites and other issues. So it's been a learning curve for me also from to hear these positive developments from you. It's 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 very interesting. Uh, before uh, we wrap today's discussion up, uh, do you have any last uh, message or any last words that uh, you think you want to talk about or anything from here and you think we missed out on? Uh, my last points would be, see, I believe that 
the way we are talking to each other. I uh, I talk to you and you talk to me. We share ideas. I believe that uh, you know there should be a channel of discussion between uh, the Indian Muslims and uh, the right wing. Why I say right wing? Because uh, unfortunately, uh, there is no power balance in India. Most of the Muslims, they align with the left wing and they get uh, used, exploited. And because of this, uh, there is no power balance. There is no uh, proper representation. I would say that Muslims have to understand this. They have to assimilate in the Indian society. They have to um, get along with the Indian society. And they have to shun this idea of, uh, uh, you know, supremacy. Okay, and they have to understand that how other countries, especially Saudi Arabia, is thriving and how UAE is thriving, uh, uh, the Indonesia is thriving, the Malaysia is thriving. The Indian Muslims should also try to emulate these these countries. And at the same time, I would recommend and suggest um, the, the, the non-Muslims in India uh, to open up uh, the dialogue with the Muslims and try to understand the concerns. And in fact, the Muslims should also understand the concerns of the non-Muslims and try to address that. No, I, I do agree. And because at the end of the day, just like they say, Indian Muslims are Indian. 20 crore Muslims are हमारे साथ ही रहेंगे और कहां जाने वाले हैं एग्जैक्टली एग्जैक्टली एंड एंड ओनली it's okay if you're a Muslim. It's okay if you're a Hindu. It's okay if you're exactly. nothing to me as I long as say, you're say, giving yes. an Indian perspective. Exactly. See, uh, religion is, an, is, is a private affair and we have to keep it as a private affair. And uh, uh, our identity is Indian. So uh, the Indian identity is something that unites us. So uh, we have to work on that. And I do understand that uh, certain people that try to create rifts and they want to pull this identity down. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, it, it has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. And uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. And hopefully we will have many more such discussions in the future on multiple issues. And uh, I wish you nothing but success. Yeah, sure. Thank you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks, you. All right, guys, we'll wrap today's discussion up. Once again, before we wrap it up, uh, in case you're listening to the audio version or you're watching this later on on YouTube, in the description of the podcast, you will see links to Zahak Tanvir's uh, Twitter handle and his bio in uh, uh, the Mini uh, Chronicle. That is his uh, uh, portal. And uh, I would recommend you to go there and read his material up. As far as I'm concerned, you know the drill. Please subscribe to the Charbuk Podcast YouTube channel. Like this video. Leave your comments. If you want to support this podcast, you can do it on YouTube through the membership program, on Patreon through the pledging a membership, or on Fanmo through pledging a membership. You can buy the Charbuk Podcast merch on Kadak Merch or kushalmehra.com or send your donations directly through UPI to Kushal Mehra at ICICI. I will see you guys next time with another discussion. Until then, namaste, take care, bye-bye.